I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 86th Texas Legislature. This week, appraising the House. We're getting down to the wire in our five-month-long session. The last few weeks are upon us, and sine die, the final day, the gaveling out, is within range. We can taste freedom. But there's still work to be done. Passage of a budget in balance, the only constitutionally required outcome of any legislature, is well on its way, with differences already being ironed out by the two chambers and their designees in conference committee. The marquee bills of 2019, school finance reform and property tax reform, are following behind. They, too, will soon be in conference, with every expectation of bridging meaningful but resolvable differences. Nobody thinks we're not going to pass school finance reform or property tax reform this session. I mean, come on. The ultimate fate of a few other key bits of lawmaking, the reining in of paid sick leave, the loosening of marijuana laws, the prospect of a sales tax increase that would pay for a property tax cut is less clear, but is starting to come into focus. The point is that the level of angst is low, not non-existent, but contained enough and at a level of intensity that suggests the no drama, no bullshit mantra of the governor, the lieutenant governor, and particularly the new speaker, those are my words, not theirs, in the early weeks of January was largely sincere. As promised, they seem to be landing the plane safely. Barring something completely unforeseen, there won't be a special session. We can all proceed with our plans to spend the months of June and July someplace that isn't so godforsaken hot. So how did they do it? How have the members and the leadership gotten us from there to here? How did the high notes of Kumbaya hold for so long? And can the harmony hang on through Memorial Day? This week, I asked those questions of two key House members. State Representative Dade Phelan, Republican of Beaumont, chairs the State Affairs Committee, through which so much of any session's significant legislation flows. He's not the most well-known member of the majority after three terms, but he's quietly powerful. By virtue of his position, his perspective is consequential. State Representative Donna Howard, Democrat of Austin, is a key member of the Budget Writing Appropriations Committee and is a conscience of the minority, ever hopeful that she can persuade her colleagues across the aisle to do what's right rather than what's easy or politically palatable. We three sat down to look back at the 86th and to game out its likely end on the morning of May 2nd. Day 115 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by Entergy. Investing today to power a brighter future for Southeast Texas. Visit EntergyTexas.com slash bright future. And by Zachary Group, serving the power, energy, chemicals, manufacturing, and industrial sectors to plan, build, and renew their facilities at the highest safety and quality standards. More at ZacharyGroup.com. And CompTIA. Discover how an all-inclusive membership can help you give eyes, ears, and a voice at the state, federal, and international levels. CompTIA.org slash PSA. And the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers. Standing with Texans statewide who seek access to emergency care without health plan interference. Go to myemergencymychoice.com. 
So I've got uh, the HomeAway website on my computer uh, uh, dialed up. I'm about to click send on a home reservation in another country during the month of June, assuming that I'm not going to have to be here, Chairman, for a special session. Safe bet, can I go ahead and rent? I would rent. You would? Yeah, I would. Yeah, it looks, it looks like you're not coming back. I, I, would, I would not bet on coming back at this point. Yeah, Representative time. Howard, you've, uh, you've been here a little longer at the Capitol than Representative Phelan, Chairman Phelan, but you also feel the same way? You, ha you have a oh, yeah. especially, both cynicism especially and experience June, to, to go drive Go in June when, when we're not going to come back because that's the veto time, you know, we're not so going to come back. So what if I were renting in July? <laughs> I still think you're probably safe. I mean, I think clearly we're trying to get things done so we don't have to come back. Um, a lot of us believe that a special session would be worse. That uh, in terms of, for one thing, uh, the, there's a limited, thing you, a limited amount you'd be looking at that the governor gets to decide you can't do anything else. The lieutenant governor ends up having more power in a special session. Well, history, history is instructive, you know. This yeah. is a, you bring people back over the summer, they're cranky and they're hot. Mm -hmm. And they start and the mess, messing, with, messing with stuff, Chairman, right? That's it. I, I totally agree. If we're coming back, we're not just doing school finance and property tax. We're going to do the budget. They're all linked together. So right. we're going to be doing the whole House Bill 1, 2, and 3, SB 1, 2, and 3. I don't think anyone wants to do that. You right. also have to look at what impact this has on, especially with school finance, what impact that has on um, ISD budgets because they write their budgets over the summer. So if we're coming back in July or August, well, then you go ahead and punt that to You're the next You're kicking the fix for another year, aren't you? You absolutely are. So uh, – I will go ahead and say, and I, I don't want to speak for my friend Donna over here, but I think the House has done everything we needed to do at this point. Uh, we have House Bill 1 in conference. Yeah. We, uh, we passed Senate Bill 3 this week. It is back over in the, the, the Senate now. And they have yet to act. They've had school finance reform for the better part of four and a half, five weeks now. Now, they, they may be voting that out tomorrow. We shall see. But the House is, we've done we've done. You're a not lot of the business. problem. Well, I, I would say we've done our business, and is, I think the trains. I'm not saying we're Switzerland. You can set your your uh, watch by what the house is doing, but we. I think we've done an excellent job. I think the speaker's done an excellent job. I think both party leadership have done an excellent job, and it's been very cordial. It's been, I, I think, very respective dialogue. Uh, and I've only this is only my third session, but I was a house staffer, a senate staffer, and I, I worked in D.C. and I, I think. The last these 110 days have been some really right. productive you've, you've days. You've seen dysfunction. This is oh, uh, this we've is all that. seen dysfunction. <laughs> you know, absolutely, Rep think, Representative right. Howard, the shoes on the other foot this time. You know, typically at this point in the session, the Senate is complaining that the House is not doing everything it should be doing mm -hmm. on the right timetable. Mm -hmm. They're they're waiting on you, right? And yeah. now turnabout is fair play. Oh, absolutely. And I think to what Dade is saying, he's. I totally agree with him. You know, we've done what what we need to do. We may not agree on every part of what's in it. But we have put a package together. They're all linked. Right. And, um, you know, we're ready to go. We're waiting for them to push stuff out so that we can go to conference and we can make yeah. this thing work. It's nice to go back to disagreeing within normal parameters, I have <laughs> to say. So, so let's, let's unpack a lot of what you both just said in terms of what's happened looking back over our shoulder before we look ahead to what remains to be done. Uh, late last night, uh, Chairman, the State Affairs Committee moved the paid sick leave bill. It was uh, – there's so – there's four bills, right? Uh, and SB 15 was. Split. I meant it more existentially, sure. but go Absolutely. on. Absolutely, right? it was yeah. split into four different versions, right. um, <clears throat> each each targeting a different uh, aspect of SB 15. 
we moved one portion that has to do with scheduling. And I, for the record, I and we may disagree, um, but I don't see the city's role um, in interfering with an employee-employee relationship. Right. I think that's a federal issue, and that or that is a state issue. If you look at the Minimum Wage Act, I mean, that I think that's a fundamental. If you want to do that, you do that at either capital. You don't do it at the city level. And I, I, there was examples last night where I thought there was the patchwork examples of like the Ubers totally applies when you talk about employee-employee relationships. So we, that being said, we passed uh, one one of the bills that had to do with scheduling. And it was a 9-2 vote, and quite frankly, it was probably, it, it had been an 11-2 vote, bipartisan, had the full panel been there. And uh, we did, and uh, I, it was my bill. I picked up three of the four bills, and I made certain that we reinserted the non-discrimination ordinance language to make certain that these decades old, I mean, City Boston's had an NDO for 37 years, almost my entire lifetime. And it's worked well, and it's held up in court. And if we're going to move forward with any of these bills in this within this package, I want to make 100% certain that we're not opening up any avenues for work, workplace discrimination. So that's why you did it, because last night you did not. We reported this morning that you did not. I was asleep by the time sure. this happened. Mm -hmm. That you did not say. I might say, have been asleep myself. I don't know. Well, but that you didn't. This may be the reason that you did not say. Maybe you were asleep. But that in any case, you did not elaborate last night as to why you reinstated that language. I mean, you sound like Kirk Watson. Sure. Well, it was in the original bill. SB 15, as filed, had the same exact language right. that I reinserted last night. Right. And so I have legal opinions on both sides um, that said, from Fortune 500 companies, arguing both sides. Right, but you understand the Democrats in the Senate who argued over this bill argued the point that you just made, that it's worked well for many years. If our intention is not to strike these, then just have the language in there so everybody's intentions are clear. That's what they said. That's what you're saying. And I agree with it. You do. Representative Howard, does the fact that the non-discrimination ordinance language has returned to the bill mean you're willing to vote for it? No. Because the paid sick leave part is still a bridge too far for you. Look, we, we don't have consistency, and I don't think any of us are pure here, about uh, separating jurisdictional powers. We talk out of both sides of our mouths about local control and who should be doing what. We talk out of both sides of our mouths about the federal government what we want them to do, what we don't want them to do. I think there are legitimate legal discussions that can be had around that. Not being a lawyer, I'm not gonna go there. But the fact is that we have for many, many years, if not pretty much always since we've been in existence here in Texas, emphasized the ability of local communities to govern themselves, what's best for their community. And quite frankly, the state of Texas benefits from what goes on in Austin, Texas, among other uh, regions of the state. Yeah, but, but, you, but, you, but you've been around here for a couple of sessions. You know that that argument is dead as a doornail. I know it's dead. That capital. doesn't mean it's not right. Well, I know, and, you're, <laughs> and, and, and bless you, ma'am, for arguing what's right. But you also know as a practical matter you can count votes, and yes. you know that Chairman Phelan's view of the world as far as that issue specifically goes right. means he's probably got the votes now with the NDO language reinstated. And when I got here, bill. the first thing right. I did was thank him for that. Sure. Right. And let me build on that. Two things. One, regarding all these issues of the paid sick leave and the mandated benefits and the scheduling and the check the box. That's kind of the four bills. Right. You're not just you're not just the ordinance. It doesn't just apply to individuals who live in Austin. I actually have constituents who come to who. One's a beer distributor. They come to Austin and, and get product. They come to Dallas and get product. They would be triggered. Their employees who live in Beaumont, Texas, the company's based in Beaumont, Texas, this ordinance would apply to them. They would have to comply with an Austin ordinance on wage 
and benefits mandates, I it's far it's far, far more reaching than people realize. And the testimony last night, you know, backed me up on that. That being said, back to your local control issue. There was a bill yesterday by Senator Royce West dealing with electric scooters, <laughs> regulating electric scooters, who can ride them and where they can ride them in any city in the state of Texas. I'm going to vote against that because it's none of my business. I, these, are the, these sidewalks, the city of Austin sidewalks, if they want to have 15,000 scooters, which it feels like they're about 15,000 scooters. Yeah, really, like 15 million scooters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the city of Austin's – I'm not getting into that, but it was a bipartisan bill. I think it passed – I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, Senator Hughes, who's a prolific scooter rider, didn't didn't ride on it, and maybe Senator Fallon. But that was a Democratic. Uh, that was a Democrat from a large urban area who decided that he wants to regulate, and I, that's fine. But I, I I personally will not vote for that because I see that as a local. Yeah, issue. Re Representative so, Howard, I'd say that actually uh, residents of Austin are more in danger because of scooters than because of a lack of paid sick leave. Uh, that may be true at this point in time. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I mean, seriously, if you could do sure. something about the drunk trolleys, that would be the next thing I'd like you to regulate. I don't care about local control on that. So we think this passes. On the other three uh, components of this conversation that you enumerated, sure. are all those going to make, and will the non-discrimination ordinance language be added in as a component of all of those? Those those will have to. I just knew at that point in time last night the support was overwhelming for that first bill, and I wanted to make certain that going forward that you know, we sent a message to the rest of the House that, you know, the NDO language was important, and we were not going to go into that. I, I mean, I personally, this is just my personal, I'm not speaking for the rest of the committee, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done talking about, you know, bashing on the gay community and going there session after session. It's it's just, it's, it's completely unacceptable, and, um, you know, this is 2019. And so if we're going to use bills like that, I didn't want to look as a vehicle of bashing right. the gay community. This had to do with the employee-employer workplace um, relationship. And I think that is a state-federal issue. And if, if a city wants to have, a, like, a, a, again, 37 years, that, that, uh, the NDO in Austin has been in place. And right. Right. So, do you put the, so do you put, for that reason, do you put the NDOs back on the other bills? If it's necessary. Right. So let me ask you both this question. So this is going to go to conference in theory. And the bills will differ in, in, as they arrive in conference. If, as a consequence of the conference committee, the bill comes back to the House without the language, Senate's view of the world prevails. Well, you're against it anyway, Correct. Representative Howard, right? Representative Phelan, would you commit, Chairman, would you commit now to voting no on the floor if it comes back from conference with the language stripped? I will not concur. You will not concur? If they strip it out, I will not you would be a no. You would be a no vote if it comes back to the House. Yes, I, I wouldn't have voted out last night without it. In With, without that, okay, very good. Let me ask you about the property tax legislation. Um, so, as it passed the House, cities, counties, and emergency service districts are at the 3.5 percent trigger. House version has hospitals and community colleges still at eight. Senate version has them back down at 3.5. You were a yes vote uh, on SB2. You were a no. You date. Representative Ch yeah. Ch Chairman Phelan. Well, nobody thinks you voted for that bill, Representative Howard. Every Republican voted for it. I don't care so. if this is audio, Representative <laughs> Howard. We see you, okay? Um, okay. Uh, but but, uh, but you're a no, and Chairman, you're a yes on that. Correct. Right. Again, how does this not pass? Representative Howard, I know you oppose it, but how does it not pass? You had 20 Democrats or more mm -hmm. join the Republicans. There's the it, it, Game over, right, on this? Well, yeah, I mean, that's how numbers work. And uh, 
regardless of the fact that some Democrats voted with the prevailing uh, vote here, um, the fact is that even with, if, even if we'd done pure party voting, the, the Republicans would have won. That's how this works. Right. And I think one of the biggest concerns we had, and there could have been more Democrats that would have joined in on it, was that there was a lack of willingness to accept amendments on the night that we debated this that would have made it more palatable to many, many more of the members. Um, as it is right now, those of us that represent Austin in particular, the numbers that we've been given by the mayor and uh, city manager and city council members uh, indicate that there will be cuts made to our budget with the limits being placed on uh, what, what they're able to, yeah, to he raise. Yeah, view, he views public safety as at risk in Austin because of the increase in his costs relative to the revenue that, based on the cap, he'd be able to generate. Right. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, absolutely representing this community, right. I can't in good conscience yeah, but vote couldn't for he it. Go, couldn't he go back to the voters? I mean, the fact is, oh, it's, the I, fact I, is absolutely. he goes to the voters and he makes his case. The mayor's a good salesman. Right. He goes to the voters and he says, this is why we need more money. And the voters go, okay, I get it. I don't think the issue is going back to the voters. I think we all recognize that voters should be able to make decisions about a lot of these things. But they also elect us to come and, uh, and the city council members and the mayor to do the homework to make the decisions within certain guardrails. And the guardrails uh, have really worked. This is, this is getting us off message of what the real issue has always been with property taxes, and that is school finance. It's not about what's been going on at the local community level uh, in the other jurisdictions. Absolutely, are there issues? Yes, and people can point to things anecdotally, right. but by and large, it's been working. The problem with property taxes is the state decreasing yeah. its share. That's really what this is all about. Chairman Phelan, did the mayor of Beaumont give you a point of view about this bill? Did not. Council members did not? Were they the only local officials in the entire state who did not express a point of view about this bill? I had, I had a few county commissioners reach out. Anybody for it? Oh, yeah. I had elected officials back home for it. We don't see the, the increase um, you know, that the, you know, Donna would see in her district uh, pretty pretty flat. Uh, I can tell you at last session, when even when the Senate was, which by the way, I think every local government now would take 6% in a heartbeat, which is where the House Boy, was last session. You take 4%. <laughs> Sometimes you, you got to, and I will say this, yeah. sometimes you have to learn to say yes. And, and, and they didn't say less last session. They didn't say yes last special session. And it just got worse. And so that Betancourt says they agreed to compromise at about half of what they were going to exactly. get. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so the House was at six and the Senate was at four. We were probably pretty close to five last special session. And even at 4%, none of my local taxing entities were impacted. So at three and a half, yeah. I, we're probably not there either. So. But isn't that I, I, exactly wait, the point? I'm sorry. Isn't I'm sorry. I voted, I voted I, my district. She voted her district. It right, makes total still, sense. I, I don't want to think that, and maybe it's because I'm naive and trying to be innocent here, but I don't want to think that the legislature comes back in and punishes the local communities because they didn't accept something that was a better deal last time. So, so okay, so we're going to show you now. I mean, no, I absolutely, we want to go back and do I, I a compromise think, of 5%. I don't think point. that was the issue. I think the, it's just become a bigger it's become a bigger issue back home, taxes. But it's it's hard to it's hard to reconcile Republican that last session we were we were at six percent and not willing to budge in the house, and now all of a sudden we were willing to come in at two and a half percent, three and a half percent. That is a, a significant shift 
and what we were talking about last time. Sure, and I, well, I think that the other difference is you had the lieutenant, now you have the lieutenant governor, the speaker, and um, the, the lieutenant governor, the speaker, and the governor all on the same page for, for the first time as far as property tax relief. And then we, we weren't all on the same page last, last time. time. Uh, Chairman Phelan, you just said I voted my district, she voted her district. Actually, what you did was vote her district. What you did was tell her district where the increase in cost is higher than your district that she had to live with your increasing costs. We do that you? every day. Right. <laughs> I mean, we, we vote, and sometimes, you know, you vote your district, and it impacts someone else, and, and she may right. be on the prevailing side, and it, yeah. it impacts my district. But you had another case of pour one out for local control. Yeah, is that, I, I, <laughs> yeah. literally, I literally look through the, the spectrum of southeast Texas on all my votes. And I, if I, I don't want to lose sleep when I go home at night, and if I, I know I voted southeast Texas, then I don't have to worry about going home right. and, and running to somebody at, at, at Home Depot or, you right. know, running to somebody at the restaurant saying, why did you vote Austin's interests? Why aren't you voting South? Because they're drastically different. Now I mean, my district have, is drastically you, different than Donna's. You both have hospitals and community colleges in your district. The House made the decision that those entities, institutions, were at risk if the threshold was lowered from 8%. The Senate has said 3.5%. Where is it going to land in conference, Representative Howard? <laughs> You're asking me. I am. You could still <laughs> well, be appointed not, to the conference committee, couldn't you? Uh, not likely. Not likely, but you could. It hasn't happened yet. You know. No, I mean, I, I think that uh, the leadership is really going to be close to being on the same page, and I and I on the know, eight versus the three and a half. But it, but they're not on the same page now. The bills are different as far as those two significant things go. Look, the community colleges have said, if you cap our Ability to raise revenue at, well, they said 2.5%. I assume that they would say 3.5% as well as opposed to 8 We may have to raise tuition. Right. And, and the people and who go to community colleges are the people at the lowest end of the socioeconomic scale who can bear that tuition increase And nobody the least. wants that. Right. And, I, wants and that. community colleges and health care are two of the things that uh, impact all the communities across this state. And people have a lot of, of support in their community, Republican and Democrat, rural and urban, whatever. Those are important entities to them. I don't think the same kind of benevolent feelings exist sometimes with the local elected officials running the cities and the counties, and, and so I don't think there's as much love there. Is the House going to roll over in conference and go to the 3.5% on, 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 on community colleges and hospitals? What do you think, yes or no? I think no. You think they're not going to roll over? What well, do you think? again, it's all, all politics is local. I don't have a hospital district. I'm one of the few areas in the state of Texas that does not have a hospital district. And I don't have community colleges. I have two-year institutions that are actually funded through the state budget and a funding formula, right. all the Lamar. So, so again, good. it doesn't impact yeah. me. So I have to look at through that sphere, and right. and I and I feel for Donna because she she has those those are huge issues in her district. So if it comes back, Chairman, from conference, and they've now put the hospitals and the community colleges at three point five percent, you show the chairman voting yes. Doesn't impact my district. Doesn't impact your yes. district. You mm -hmm. vote yes. That's some cold stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what about the sales tax swap? So we're still in the first or second inning of that. Um, again, I've been at the Capitol for a long time, not as long as some people, longer than others. I, could, I think I have a sense of what's going on over there. I don't see 100 votes for this, Chairman. Do you see 100 votes for this? 100 votes is, is tough. Um, I, I don't. HJR 3 was voted out last night, where it's actually 100% 
going towards Right, sales well, that's tax. the big switch. So it's, first of all, can you get to 100 votes? Second of all, you've changed the discussion from 80-20 to 100. All the money gets dedicated to property tax. That makes it harder to get to 100 votes. I it? Yeah, it does, and I believe it, it gets us right at about $9 billion in property tax relief. Show, show me voting eye on that. Um, well, who doesn't but, love to go home and tell people we lowered your property that's taxes real or prop- rejiggered the That mechanism. is real yeah. property tax. Something you can actually see. That is re- that's not forty dollars a year. That's several hundred. This is not the two thousand six swap of the business. Oh, no. which was fourteen billion dollars. He's talking nine. That was fourteen but billion. Do you, do you disagree, Representative Howard? What Chairman Phelan says that people are going to feel this more than they felt the last one. Why? You don't think so? Property values are still going up. I think. Are they not? So you think this is a phantom tax cut? I think no. I think that just like last time, though, it will be eaten up to some extent by the property value increases. We we had a $14 billion fiscal note in 2006 on what we passed then. That was my first major vote I had to take in, in this legislative body. And I, I voted for it because it was the only alternative we had at the time. The superintendents were saying, We've, we need relief. You've got to help us here. And yep. the idea was it was supposed to grow with the economy, and that obviously was short-lived. Uh, as property values went up, most people... When they got their bill next time, even though we had made that substantial swap, didn't recognize it. I'd say that they got peanuts, except I'm not sure they could have bought actual peanuts <laughs> with what they got back. It wasn't as bad, it's and a that's a hard po- but sale. You know, but Chairman Finland is not wrong in this respect. It's a great political vote. Whatever you oh, think yeah. of it from an economic standpoint, you absolutely want to be on the side of yes, cutting property Yes, you're taxes. on the side of, of cutting property taxes. You're on the side of raising sales taxes. So. You may be cutting one tax, but you're raising another tax. So, so you, you're for the idea of reducing the property tax, Chairman, of course. Sure. Are you for the idea of increasing the sales tax? If it reduces property taxes. Even if it's a regressive sales tax increase? I, I have no problem with the consumption tax. I don't spend a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but the, you have a lot of people in East Texas who are on the lower level of the economic ladder for whom this tax affects them significantly. Okay, right? in, in the real estate world, and I'm in the real estate world, right. When uh, and in all my leases, when my property taxes are decreased, all my tenants see a decrease. It's in the lease. So if my if the property taxes are reduced by a third, they pay a third because I pass it on to them. So they may be, they may pay more for a Dr Pepper, but they're going to pay less for rent, and it's going to wash. Correct. And don't everyone pays property taxes? And I, there are there are folks out there who say, well, if you rent, you don't pay property. Taxes. You pay property taxes. I mean, everyone, you're paying property taxes right here in this studio. And I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, God I'm sure knows I know that I am. <laughs> and so if the taxes here went down, a th- uh, I'm, I'm sure you're in a triple net lease. So maybe you're not. Maybe you're in a full service gross uh, gross lease. But if you were on a triple net lease, you would see that line item be reduced by a third. So there's you have no concerns. Well, wait, wait, of, wait, yeah. wait. So does could you add to this uh, this bill then that anyone who rents property will automatically get a third reduction in their rent depends on their contract no no that's what i'm saying that's a contractual that's a contractual i'm asking if we could supersede that i don't i don't know if that's constitutional well then i don't think that many people are going to see that that are in that are actually renting property it's a free market though if you're charging more if you're charging a hundred dollars more across the street for the same service and I, I see someone moving to the I'm talking the about people product. in their homes. Oh, I, well, I mean, renting homes. And, and I doubt we're going to see that they're going to see something more in their pockets because the landlord happened to get a little break. I, I, let me go back to Chairman where I started. Do you see 100 votes for this? Especially since you've now taken the 20% that was going to go to pr- public education and you've now made it 100% for property taxes. I think it's, I think it's absolutely possible. Everyone, everyone's constituents are paying 
property taxes. You've got 83 and, Republicans. Mm-hmm. Can you hold all 83? Let me ask you the question. Let's do the math in sort of bits. Can you hold all 83 for this? I would say yes. Even though you've got some very conservative members of your party who say, when did we become the party of tax increases? When you're putting 100% to property tax reduction? You think those people are mollified? Yes. Okay, so you hold all let's Let's call the 83 as held. You got 17, you got, you got 17 Democrats? I don't know. Donna, do we have 17 Democrats? I don't think at this point, no. I mean, we know the usual suspects mm-hmm. who, you know, a pork chop is waved in front of them and they cross the street. We know who those Whoa. people are. I'm not tackling that one. I'm, that's okay. I said it, not you. I, I mean, I'm more than happy to say it. Um, it's going to be an interesting vote. It will be an interesting vote. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, what about the theory, I'll ask both of you, that in fact the play here is to figure out a vehicle for it to actually need 76 and not 100? Is there a, is there a, a, a sort of a Statue of Liberty play or an, uh, you know, an, end, an end run, a, a reverse direction play here where possibly you don't need 100, Chairman? I don't know the answer to that. I've only seen it as an HJR. Right. Um, I think taking it to the voters is, is a popular thought that let them decide whether or not they want to pay more in a consumption. To would see you, would you commit to not supporting it unless it goes to the voters? No. If, my, if my, vote, my, out, my voters yeah. back home overwhelmingly want to pay less in property taxes. So you don't need to ask the voters. And if it's a 100% swap, right. they, I, I feel very confident going back to Southeast right. Texas with that. Representative Howard, is there any thing that gets you to yes on this bill? I can't imagine what it would be. Um, certainly, I'm going to be talking to the people in my district about what they would prefer. Um, you know, I think we're, we very much recognize that, that this is going to be beneficial to the wealthier portion of our state and that the vast majority of Texans will be ultimately paying more if we increase the sales tax. That's a hard, that's a hard thing for me to, to justify. Of course, on the other hand, if you're voting your district, I know your district. I'm in your district. I know you are. You have a fancy district. I have partly a fancy district, but I also go east of I-35 with an unincorporated area with uh, immigrants but living you, in but trailers. You do, you have a lot of people, though, in your district. I do. Who benefit from this, right? And, and, yeah, who would benefit, yes, but who also recognize the greater good who also recognize that we do things because we all need to live and work together, and bringing everybody around and lifting all boats is is actually good for all of us. I am not hearing that anything gets you to yes on this bill. Uh, I'm having a hard time finding it. I suspect that's the case. Um, In the end, just kind of fast prediction, yes or no, snap prediction, does this bill make, yes or no? Mm, Yes. Does this bill make? I think so. You think it does? Okay. Isn't it nice to have the education bill be so far down the list of things we have to talk about, so boring? <laughs> Which is our number one priority. Which for years has been so hard to get done. You both are at $9 billion. You both are at $6.3 billion for school finance. You both are at $2.7 billion. It, it, really, it really is it's, it's a high point of session. I mean, the fact is, you know, that, you know, people have pictures of the Virgin of Guadalupe in their house. They're going to replace those with a picture of Dan Huberty before this is all over, <laughs> Don't right? Don't tell him that. Right. Dan Huberty is only slightly more colorful than, I than ju- the Virgin of Guadalupe. Actually, I just passed him walking, walking down Congress, right. and, and he, he, looked, he looked good today. What color was his jacket? It was uh, mostly red. Yesterday, Mostly it, was, yesterday red. it was blue. So he's very bipartisan. I still like the fact that Bernal refers to him as Chairman Sherbetine, <laughs> that his clothes look like Sherbet. Um, so it's not that the Senate and the House aren't in different places on this bill. They are in different places on this yes. bill. The teacher pay mechanism is different. The question of merit pay is different. 
the allotment number is not exactly the same, but those seem to be like the last five yards before the goal line. Am I reading this too optimistically, Representative Howard? You guys are almost at the end zone on this. No, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, I think this, this boxing into the corner that, uh, that the Senate side did with their $500 across-the-board pay raise. $5,000. I mean, sorry, yeah. $5,000. Yeah. It makes it's a big difference. Bigger. Zero yeah. makes a big difference. Right. Um, <clears throat> is... is Put, driving some of the sales tax talk so that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish by putting even more money in. That seems to be part of what the plan is here anyway. Um, and by the way, speaking of, of difficult political votes to, to where, where to vote, no, how do you vote against teachers? I mean, in some ways, the teacher pay increase, while people could argue it on the merits substantively, <laughs> Well, that was you, that you was vote, a, you vote against yeah. a pay increase for teachers well, and they have to go back home. We do that all the time. We set up votes that make it look like you're not supporting something or you are supporting something by virtue of how it was set up. The House clearly supports teacher salary increases. Also recognizes, though, that all the ancillary personnel support the teachers so that they can do the job they're doing in the classroom, right. and that we need to make sure that there's also, going back to the local control issue, that the local school districts look at what's best for their community and use the additional money they're getting to target it to the areas that they where want they, to Where they know they need it. Exactly. Because, because not every school district is the same, and not every school district Absolutely has the same not. needs. Absolutely not. That's right. So let me ask you the question, or a version of what I asked you on another subject earlier. If this bill comes back from conference and the Senate's view of how to pay teachers, that $5,000 across the board, is put back into the legislation, or put it in as the final bill, you're still a yes. Uh, if we've got to figure out how to pay for it. Right. That's part of the problem. I mean, you can put something in a bill, but if you can't pay for it, I mean, that's a you whole other. So you view it as an unfunded mandate on the districts? Well, right now it is. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no way they can, get, they can get that money yeah. without raising taxes, which we're telling them they can't do. Do you like that $5,000 across the board? I do not. You don't? I because? Do I'll, I'll give you several reasons. One, um, how do we pay for it in perpetuity? I mean, how do we do it going forward? Right. It's... it's you know, you put that in the basic allotment, and it's in the basic allotment like the house has done. And I, I totally agree with Donna. I, I trust my local superintendents um, best on how they want to spend their money locally. And if they want to increase teacher pay, if that's what they need. And that, I have districts that don't need take. They're already exceeding the, you know, the, the local average. They need help in the classroom. You know, they may need facilities. It may be something right. totally different. Right. So let them decide, and, and let's fund it going forward, you know, uh, permanently. The, um, you know, I would say in meeting with my teachers back home, the top three items they come to me is not paying. It's not about their pay. They, they didn't get into being a teacher to make a lot of money. They did it because right. they love to teach. And they'll tell you, just let us do our job. Reducing testing, that's the number one. You know, right. have our back on discipline issues. That's, those are big issues. They just want to be teachers, and they're right. mi some of them are just miserable. But don't you Giving them another yeah. $5,000 doesn't make them any less miserable. But, Chairman, if it comes back with that back in the bill, you're going to vote for it. Aren't you? It, I, it, that is such a big fiscal item. I don't know how we make the numbers you, work. You hesitate. What happened to merit pay? You, you do the school finance commission. They produced this report. They all agree to it. One of the key components is that we're going to do some kind of pay for performance. The governor gets up at the front of the session with the state of the state speech, and he holds Michael Hinojosa up like the baby in the Lion King, right? And he says, this is the, you know, Hakuna Matata. We're going to do merit pay. 
and then it gets through the house, and then the house stri strips merit pay. What happened? I thought we wanted accountability, Chairman. It's extremely uh, complex. I, I looked through that. I sat through a PowerPoint for about two hours on the merit pay, and I, you know, it's it, how do you sell that to eleven hundred school districts? Some of whom have, may have hundred kids, and some may have fifty thousand kids. They're just to me, it was very difficult to uh, do a statewide merit pay. And that's why I think it was it was it was stripped rather. Right. But rather Representative Howard, the Senate still got it in its version of the bill, does it not, or some version of yeah. it? Yeah. And I think, well, obviously, I support more what the House is doing, which is to look at this more as uh, stipends, incentive pay for what where the local school districts again determine they need to have uh, teachers who have additional training or who are willing to go into high needs areas and try to make a difference. Um, that that can. That can be uh, a part of accountability as well. You don't have to use a star test or the, the complex Dallas-specific plan that is not a one-size-fits-all. Obviously, as, as Dade mentioned, that's not going to work necessarily in Beaumont, Texas. No. It's not even necessarily going to work in Austin, Texas. Right. And there's a lot to be looked at there that we can incorporate. But using a plan like that and then, and then having this, this plan that is uh, merit-based as opposed to looking at letting the local, local uh, superintendent decide. Let's give extra money to these teachers who are willing to do this or who have this extra training or, or whatever. Recruit people in that can provide special education or, or bilingual education, whatever. That's if a local decision. If you've seen one district, you've seen one district. That's correct. Right? That's Every right. district is different. You both agree that there is 0% chance that in the end this bill does not pass. Go to the governor. I have a hard time imagining it not passing, right. but there's always... <laughs> I, I'm confident it's going to pass, but until, until it gets to his desk, you know. Well, it is this legislature, right? Exactly. I mean, the fact is, it's never over until it's over. It's and even in, when it's over. over, it's like those horror movies where the guy pops up out of the lake at That's the end. That's correct. So you can't actually say. <laughs> That's why I said you could right. go on your trip in June. Right. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, so you both voted for the Moody Bill to reduce the criminal penalty for marijuana. Well, you're from Austin, Representative Howard. Of course yes. you voted for a pot bill. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, but you're bo you both voted for this. And, was, then I, I, and all pun intended, I was a joint author. <laughs> Do you know, oh, Mo no. every, every time I tweet oh out gosh. something, every time I tweet out something with some kind of a pot joke, Moody gets mad. So I'm sure. not going to lean into that because he'll just get mad at me again for doing that. Um, but uh, so what happens, the minute you guys pass that bill, Dan Patrick says... DOA. Right. Mm -hmm. Not, is yeah. it in fact D? Is it dead? It, well, we have two chambers for a reason. Uh, that's a Senate call. I can tell you that. Is it a Patrick call or is it a Senate call? Let's talk frankly. Mm. If you polled his members after injecting truth serum in them, mm -hmm. would the votes be there for that bill or not? I don't know that. For certain, uh, I think it would be. I think it'd be closer than you than you realize. I can tell you personally. I come from a very conservative district. I've never. Yes, you do. I I, I joke about, with Joe Moody about it. I said, "You want to get me in the back and talk about how I've never seen quote unquote a marijuana cigarette?" I can talk about that. Like, an, I, it's not what I. You think I, no one's getting high in Beaumont. The, plenty of them are. I may I, need to take you to no, some places no, no, you haven't. They, been. they are. They absolutely are. But yeah. you know, my wife was a former criminal prosecutor, and she's ended the career of many young men and women for very small amounts of marijuana. We were raising generations of unemployable That's men right. and women over a very small amount of marijuana that, quite frankly, is not any more dangerous than a fifth of you know, bourbon you can get down the street. I actually would prefer them have the marijuana than the fifth of bourbon. So we've got to get past that. It's just a, it's a silly stigma. And so that's why I joined on. This was, it's an economic development issue. I, we cannot, 
I've got a plant that's about to expand in Southeast Texas that needs 9,000 jobs. I'd love them to be Southeast Texans, but they all have, well, not all of them, but quite frankly, 60% will walk through the door and they're disqualified because of a small, petty drug right. crime. We've got to get past that. I think more senators are sympathetic to that than we may realize, but I, I don't know if that's, I don't know right. if the votes are there or not. That's an excellent question. My understanding, Representative Howard, is that the governor, my understanding, Mm-hmm. which is to say I talked to somebody outside the Starbucks. You know, I mean, that's, what my, that's what my understanding means, is that the governor was actually in a position after having been largely opposed to anything that he considered to be gateway legislation, mm-hmm. that the governor was actually not necessarily unfavorably disposed. I'm going to try well, to couch this in as many conditionals as possible, but that the governor was open to this bill potentially. I think that Representative Moody right. made that quite clear. He did. Yeah. That he Those needed amendments. one more vote. Those amendments, he, yeah. were, those amendments he put on the floor were specifically to take care of, my That's understanding, right. the governor's concerns. Yes. But the lieutenant governor has the power because he is this lieutenant governor or any lieutenant governor. He has the power to squash it. Apparently so, and it's unfortunate because we don't know. I mean, I agree with Dave. We don't know what the votes would be on the Senate floor, but it should at least get to the Senate floor, and he's preventing it. So from where are we on the, I'm going to call it the Click Lucio... Menendez cannabis oil expansion to include PS, uh, PTSD and some cancers and whatever else, Crohn's disease. Is the lieutenant governor likewise going to squash that too? I don't know. I, I'm an author of that as well. Um, it's common sense legislation. Um, yep, it is. Yeah, I, I, don't I don't know. So generally speaking, are the House and the Senate on the same page? I guess if I asked you if they were more on the same page than last session, the answer is duh, because they couldn't have been less. But do uh, you feel like you all are working okay with the Senate this time? We're at that point. We're about to find out. <laughs> so, so far, yes. So far, yes. But we haven't, haven't had really... that much to do with them up until yes. this point. May, May is when the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so here we are. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out. Are you optimistic? I'm, I'm optimistic, absolutely. Are you optimistic, Representative? Um. Moderately so. Yeah. G- grade your new speaker. A plus. You think he's listening? Is that why you gave him an A plus? <laughs> I know he's listening. <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I, th- I think Gina Cunha is transcribing it right now as we speak. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I, th- I think he's done an excellent job. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I agree. Um, you know, and and the speaker he, w- he was for him at the beginning. Yeah, I know. The speaker you were, knows. You were I, I know. Like, uh, well, no, the speaker knows that I wasn't on his original list. We've right. talked about this before, um, but the fact is that uh, he has far surpassed, uh, I think, a lot of our expectations. He has done uh, a great job, actually, of bringing in all the different ideologies across the spectrum. Except, uh, except for Stickland, uh, he's who not, is yeah, now one yeah. of 150. Yeah, but Stickland still comes around every once in a while himself. It's like a very different environment on the floor. Well, we're coming I, up on Mother's Day. We'll see if Stickland pulls I, that Mother's Day massacre stuff and whether I he's the one who I goes home not, in, a, in yeah. a box of candy. But, I, I, you know, Speaker Bonin has, has guided, has had much more of a hands-on approach, whether you like that or not. Then, he has then, Speaker, then Speaker Strauss? Speaker Strauss was much more let the members do what they're going to do. Um, and and there's there's good and bad to both approaches. I right. mean, I, I've also said this to, to Speaker Bonin before. I felt like he was trying to find that happy medium between Speaker Craddock, who was uh, very uh, not only hands on but feet on, mouth there you go, on, everything, ears on, nose on, to right, yeah. to Speaker Strauss, who was very laissez faire in, in a sense. Yeah. 
he's tried to find that happy medium. And I think he's, he's happy being in that position. And, and here we are. We've just been talking about we've got our major legislation done. And it's beginning of May. Yeah. Uh, Ch Chairman, you know, the knock on Speaker Strauss was that he showed up at a knife fight with a butter knife, that he wasn't necessarily as tough on behalf of the House versus the Senate. That's an unfair knock, but that was the knock. Speaker Bonin shows up at a knife fight with that sword from Kill Bill. <laughs> right? Sure. You know, this is a guy who knows how to make not just one fist but two, and nobody questions his toughness on behalf of the House. And that was a question at the beginning of the session. Would that toughness be a, an asset or a liability? It seems to have been an asset. It has been. It's tough business. This, this isn't, it, Politics is tough. Speaker Strauss was a fantastic speaker. He I, was. He's a great friend of mine. I, we, we exchange texts every week. He gives me advice on numerous issues. It's just a different leadership style. Right. And truthfully, a different structure in chairman as well. Um, as you were well aware, the, uh, Speaker Bonin kind of grew up in the Laney area uh, era where um, the chairmen were empowered, and you were responsible for your committee, and you know whatever you pass out, it's your bill now. And there have been times I've been on the front mic with Republicans and Democrats helping to defend their bill because it left, if it left state affairs, then I'm responsible for it. And uh, that's the same with other committees. And we all have each other's back. And whether you're Republican or Democrat, we, we try to work with each other. And I think that's why it's been so successful. And he, he, he is, Speaker is uh, a very unique individual, and he, he comes with a different leadership right, style. Right, but, 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 but let me push you a little bit on that, Chairman. The fact is that what you just described, I mean, the, per, you know, the, the, the personnel were different. The, the sure. specific personalities were different last session. But last session was so vastly different than this. The key difference between last session and this session is Strauss and Bonin. Speaker Strauss is a good man, a public servant. This is not about him. But there's a difference this session materially in terms of how the House is working versus last time. There's also a difference because of the elections, I would I'm about to say suggest. elections have consequences. Yeah. Do, do you? So let's talk about that. Do you really think the elections had consequences? We, we were going to do, we're, we were at 95-55 last time, you're at 83-67 now. Do you, can you really say with certainty that there is a different mood, tone, and outcome in this House than there was last time because of the elections, Representative Howard? I would say that, Do yes. the Democrats have more of a place in the conversation? Um, I think if you look at the chairmanships, you can see that. Um, I think there, there are, are areas, fewer Democratic chairs this time than I there were last time. I think if you look at who the chairmen are, right. you see a difference there. I also think there's a difference in how we're interacting with one another. Uh, there's less of a uh, my way or the highway from some of the Republicans because of what happened in the elections and recognizing that, hey, maybe we do need to step back a bit here and and look at the agenda and work together better on things. Do I think that we are having uh, a huge impact? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. And I certainly think if you ask the freshmen who came in, they're they're kind of frustrated about the, what they hoped would make a huge difference. Yeah. And, and they're not being able to like demonstrate Congress. it in the same way. Well, you know, but I think... We know that there is an election coming up, that the national ele uh, election is going to impact what happens here, and that some of the behaviors and the way we work together now is going to uh, reflect perhaps those, especially those that have a small margin within which to work about whether they're going to come back or not. Do you view that last election, Chairman Phelan, as a brushback pitch against your party? It certainly was a wake-up call. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think there are about 10 of your fellow Republicans who are probably thinking they've got targets on their backs for the next election. Right. At least I, I would say that. And I would say even some of the, you know, those who, who want the first term Democrats are also in purple. Purple districts are purple district. I don't, Republican or Democrat occupying it. I will say I, I agree with Speaker Bonin. We, the Republican Party must do a much better job of, of reaching out to women 
and especially I thought, to I thought, and I thought that in. speech that you know that was little noticed, but I've been talking about it almost every time I'm out on the road. That speech he gave to the young conservatives of Texas, where he said, particularly intel, he specifically said, intelligent women, we, we hundreds of thousands of women who had voted Republican voted for Democratic candidates last time because we're talking about the wrong issues or we're talking about the right issues in the wrong way. You agree, I, I, you agree with that? I've seen the numbers. College-educated women um, in suburban areas did not vote Republican last cycle. This right? is why Collin County, Denton County, Hayes County, Williamson County, Fort Bend County. Those are that, that right. those, those are affluent areas, uh, fast, rapid growth areas that um, where college-educated women did not vote for Republicans, and it showed at the polls. And so what do you do different next time? You talk about what they, what they care about. You and, pass what would that, and what would that be? I'm waiting for this. I, th I think education. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so the education legislation this session provides you with the roadmap forward potentially to get some of those folks back. I would hope so. I think we've done an excellent job on public education this cycle, and I hope we do. I hope we do the same for higher education. Right. I, I tell you, the House has always been a huge advocate, in my opinion, of higher education, and it's often uh, overlooked. I was in Article Three with Donna, and we've always fought hard for higher education. Those those issues matter back home. College-educated women in suburban Texas want to know their children are going to get a good education, and they want the yeah. state to be involved in that. And yeah. because we are, we have a role, whether yeah. some like that or not. Isn't he right, uh, Representative, <laughs> that, that, that the case that Republicans can prosecute in the next election cycle is easier, at least in the state, because they did kept the sharp objects off the table and the session got pretty much land plane land plane safely and it's an easier case for re-election in that case is it not it's a it's a better case than what they would have had had they kept on the same trajectory and again i would say that's partially because of the election itself uh making yeah. sure that that happened um certainly i, I agree with him that women uh, care about education just like i know men do as well uh, women care about health care women care about pocketbook issues they care about making sure that we have uh, child care, that right. we have all those kinds of things that I know men care about too. I think the agenda will be different if we have more women in the legislature that still, even though we focus on those things, we still go off on going after women's health care, and it's particularly abortion, reproductive health care. Uh, keep bringing that up session after session, finding one more thing to do, one more thing to do. So there is still some disgruntlement, I would say, among many women in this state that we continue to have a male-dominated legislature telling us what we can do with our bodies. So that hasn't changed. Right. We're still doing that here. Um, though we've made some progress on education, uh, we still didn't look at expanding Medicaid. We're still having trouble getting legislation through that would uh, give access to contraceptive health care. Now, I'm not talking abortion here. I'm talking about preventing the need for abortion. So. There's still some things that are happening yeah. that I think are going to get women pretty riled up. Uh, Chairman, uh, quickly on health care that I want to ask you each to tell me the thing that will surprise us if we were sitting here four weeks from now that we were not expecting. Um, on health care, you had a bunch of conservative states with conservative state leaders in the last election cycle who were opposed to expanding Medicaid. By the way, also opposed to changing marijuana laws. Mm -hmm. And it got to the voters of those states who had elected those conservative leaders, and the voters said, actually, we do want that stuff. Wouldn't it be good since we trust the voters so much on property taxes and on other things to go to the voters with things like Medicaid expansion and marijuana in the same way that other conservative states did this last cycle? 
We're not really a referendum state. We're not set up for putting something on the ballot and it becoming a law unless it's involved in the Constitution. Uh, so I don't know if it would work. Like California, you know, they have referendums all day long on basically yeah, but statute. I'm talking like Utah. I'm talking about not mm-hmm. like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, California. I'm mm-hmm. talking about Utah, mm-hmm. which looks a hell of a lot more like Beaumont than San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know. No, um, as far as I can't speak for, for Donna's district, but I, I know in my district, expanding Medicaid is, is a non-starter. It's just not something that yeah. any voters have come to me about. And I can tell you, uh, I don't know where they are on marijuana. I just I just think that's common sense. I, I think most folks back home, I could I could explain my vote on that. But um, I think I'm representing them like they expect me to represent and, them. And in that respect, if they're not talking about Medicaid expansion, then it's not, they're, not, they're, an, issue, not an issue of you. All right, so, Chairman, what is the big surprise between now and the end of the session? Look into your crystal ball. What will we be surprised by between now and the end of the session that we cannot foresee today? Anything? Um, that's a great question. I think well, I, I, I just, I'm just being optimistic that we might be at an agreement on these major issues sooner rather than later. You sign and die on May 15th? No, no, <laughs> no, we'll never do that. Have to move up the press party. I, I'm just, I'm just. Maybe I'm just optimistic because if, if my wife's listening and she thinks it's a special session, the, the locks on my doors will be changed. And by the way, speaking of my wife and women in, in politics, she's the one I'm most scared about running against me, by the way. That's, that's, the, one, that's the one person who I think... Who, who, Another who, intelligent woman. Exactly. Uh, no, I, um, I, I'm just really optimistic how close we are on all the issues. I think if the Senate can, if the Senate can vote out the, the, the school finance bill tomorrow and we can get that to conference... We're really, I think we're very, very close on a lot of the issues. Um, of course, I think the teacher pay may be a hurdle, but we really, right. it is it is May, May 2nd. May 2nd, and we, the House, is, again, has, has done our, our work, I think, the major heavy lifts, all the emergency items that the governor, whether it's flood mitigation and Harvey issues or school safety, those are all ready to go or, or in the Senate. If, if, yeah. I think we're closer than I ever would have thought. I told voters back home that the day we get an agreement on school finance, you know. Se- session's over. Session's over. And it, it has been 60 years in the making. It's a Band-Aid on top of a Band-Aid on top right. of a Band-Aid. And it's hard to get everyone who I, – I use Robert Nichols as an example. He's a hun- over 100 school districts. He has 10% of all the school districts. How do you make him happy? It's so difficult because he has so many winners and losers. And we've made a lot – there are very few losers. If so, there are any. So, so Chairman has no surprise. Give me a good surprise. He doesn't oh, necessarily have gosh. a surprise so much as a hope. <laughs> I, what well, is your I'm surprise? sorry. I'm thinking of a hope, too, but it's really a more personal hope what for legislation. That? It has to do with, with gun safety, another thing that women and mothers care about. And, and, I, and I have legislation for something as simple as safe storage of weapons. We know that, that the mass shootings that have occurred in our schools, that we've been so focused on this session, that that was minors accessing guns that weren't securely stored. Got that through committee here, Homeland Security, got it through the committee here, and it's been stuck in calendars, and yet yesterday, what didn't get stuck in calendars that we voted on was making storage less safe for those that have foster children so in their home. So I would be your, really surprised your hope if, and the, your surprise is that the governor would look back at what he found in that roundtable and and said that he supported, and let's step up and make sure that we do what just about every group other than the NRA says is okay to do, and that is help people understand that when you're a responsible gun owner, you store your guns. I will say, Representative, you always 
believe what you believe. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, you do. That's uh, one of the good things about this legislature. People believe what they believe. Uh, both of you, thank you so much for taking time away. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, you for having thank me. You. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guests, State Representatives Dave Phelan and Donna Howard, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, Entergy, Zachary Group, CompTIA, and the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 86th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.